The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm delighted to uh, welcome Eamon Carey, once upon a time a TV producer and presenter, uh, and now the managing director at uh, Techstars in London. Um, Eamon's also founded and exited two startups and invested in over 25 companies globally. So, uh, Eamon, a very warm welcome to uh, this week's episode. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here. Super. So, Eamon, tell us something about your journey from being a TV presenter over in Ireland to becoming uh, an entrepreneur in the digital world. I was really lucky. I, I had a, a dad who was a, a nerd, and, and so he used to use me as an excuse to buy stuff. So when I was younger, we had a Sinclair Spectrum 48K and a Commodore 64, which were ostensibly bought for me, but secretly I think my dad wanted to to use them to uh, play games and experiment with himself. And so I was always kind of surrounded by computers and, and, and was always interested in them and, you know, learned how to write code on, on some of those very early computers and was always kind of, you know, involved in that community and, and kind of, you know, used the internet pretty early on. And so as I kind of went through school, I was kind of interested in both on the computer side of things, but also on the communication side of things. And the opportunity came up to study kind of journalism and communications in, in college. And I ended up kind of going down that path rather than, than pure computer science. And so worked for a couple of newspapers and magazines and, and websites back in Ireland in the, in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s before graduating to kind of radio and, and, and TV stuff. And, you know, really enjoyed doing that. And the buzz of kind of doing live broadcasting was something that I really loved. But at the same time that I was doing that, I was looking at all of these kind of new platforms coming through, whether it was kind of Google coming through or people starting to do podcasting back in the, the kind of early 2000s, you know, ICQ, IRC, like all of these places with lots of cool stuff going on. And I was having conversations with, with some of my colleagues in the, the radio station, the broadcaster that I worked for saying, you know, we should be taking this internet thing more seriously. We should be thinking about, you know, blogging and podcasting and how do we put video content online? And, you know, I, I kind of felt like in a lot of cases I was, I was running into a bit of a, a brick wall that, you know, people were kind of thinking, look, radio and TV has been successful for the last 80 plus years. You know, it's, it's not going anywhere soon. And, you know, the internet is, is unproven, you know, was a lot of the attitude at that time. And, I kind of realized pretty quickly that A, I knew kind of this internet thing was going to be huge. And, and back then, you know, it was the kind of very early days of mobile phones. And I thought that was going to be even bigger again. I realized that I could do the content piece. And outside of that, there were a lot of friends of mine that worked for brands and agencies who were going, this internet thing is really interesting. Like, how do we, how do we get our brand on there? And so I figured I would start a company to kind of systematically help them do that and, and you know, charge for it. And that was where the kind of first company Random Thoughts um, came from back in the kind of early 2000s. And, you know, it was really from there that we took, you know, my love of the internet and mobile and all things kind of digital, you know, my love for content and, you know, started smushing them up and, and doing interesting things. So, you know, it, it, to me, it feels like a pretty natural evolution. And I think now if I look at the kind of broadcasters that I worked with, you know, they, they have fully embrace digital and and you know they're they're obviously on that journey as well it was just i was maybe a little bit more impatient to get on it faster so you combined your your passions for both broadcast and uh, and digital technologies yeah i mean i think you know i, I joke about it now like we, we kind of you know my colleague dara and i uh who started the business together 
you know, we, we just used to say yes to everything that people asked us to do, which as a strategy is probably not something we would advise companies to do nowadays or tech stars. But, but back then, you know, because we were one of the only shows in town in terms of kind of doing digital in, in, in Dublin and in Ireland at that stage, you know, once we did one project or, or product with people, they would come back and go, oh, you know, can you build a website or do you know how to do J2ME mobile games or can you help us with a strategy for, you know, back then it was kind of like Bebo or MySpace or, you know, and so we would just continually say yes and then figure out the, you know, the hiring plan or the, the solution for that afterwards. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things that we look for nowadays increasingly is we're, we're looking at investments for, for tech stars is, you know, founder market fit and, and finding people that are scratching an itch that they felt themselves or finding people that are, you know, solving something about which they feel really passionate. And for me, since, you know, the very first time I turned on a computer, the very first time I heard that, you know, weird inky dial-up tone that you used to hear before you connected to the internet, like those are things that I love, that I'm passionate about, that I spend money on. I, you know, I used to spend my paychecks on buying mobile phones and trying new things on WAP and all this kind of stuff back in the, the old days. So, being able to combine something that I really loved with, with something that, you know, fortunately allowed me to generate a, a living was like a dream come true. Where do you think the uh, opportunities might be for the next decade or so that are comparable to what you had figured out 15, 18 years ago? So you've talked about recognizing the opportunity for mobile. You've talked about recognizing the opportunity for web, for digital commerce and maybe recognizing that before some of your peers and colleagues had, had uh, believed in the potential of these technologies. What are the technologies you see out there right now emerging, not in the mainstream, that you think could have a comparable impact over the next 10, 15, 18 years? And I think that the interesting thing is, you know, if we look back, it's, it's you know, the first website was in August of 1991, you know, Tim Berners-Lee put it up at, at CERN. So we're, you know, what, 27 years into the, um, into the kind of internet era, 26 and a half years into the internet era, you know, it's only 10 years since Apple and, and Android brought out the, you know, the, the App Store and, and Play Store, you know, respectively. So we're still in the relatively early days. You know, if you think of in the last 27 years, how much kind of, you know, wealth and employment has been created by the internet. If you think, you know, I think Apple released some data last week that showed that they, you know, generated over a hundred billion dollars in in revenues via the the App Store. And and you think of some of the amazing companies, uh, you know, and again, wealth and unemployment that's been generated by those platforms in, in just ten years. You know, I think we're we're at the very early stages of you know, machine learning uh, and kind of data in all of its formats. And, and some people kind of think about artificial intelligence and computer vision and those types of things. You know, I think computer vision is very manifest now. We see a lot of very practical applications for that. There are practical applications for machine learning. I think people are tempted to use AI frivolously when they don't really mean it. But I still think that, you know, that whole sector, you know, whether it be automation or, you know, as I prefer to think of it a lot of the time, kind of augmentation that's going to be huge over the the next couple of years. I think, you know, blockchain technology is going to be huge over the next few years. As soon as we move away from talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and blockchain and start talking about it just as, you know, one of the fundamental building blocks of the internet, you know, we don't talk about TCP and IP and, and DNS when we talk about the internet. We just talk about the internet. And I think uh, the same is going to have to be true of blockchain before it, it becomes really, I suppose, mainstream. So I think blockchain is going to be interesting in a whole bunch of different sectors. I think there are generational opportunities in, in food tech and, and in brands 
at the moment. I mean, I think, you know, we have a rapidly growing population on this planet and we're, we're not exactly producing more arable land or, or kind of, um, you know, having, bringing more people into to work as farmers. So I think there's, you know, there are huge opportunities in, in that whole sector, figuring out how do we feed a, a growing population? How do we, you know, feed people in a way that's healthy and sustainable and, you know, all of those types of, of areas. So I think that's going to be, that's going to be huge over, over the next while. And I think the other one that kind of I've been thinking about a lot recently is in computer science, we kind of think about this, this idea of an abstraction layer where, you know, work happens and, and we don't necessarily see it happening. You know, the computer is, is, is processing and, and, and doing its thing. And I wonder if, if we're starting to see the first, you know, applications of that where, you know, instead of downloading an app, I want to be able to access my, you know, fitness product on Messenger if I want or on Alexa if I want or on WhatsApp if I want or on my Apple Watch or in my AirPod. So I think the platforms of the future will kind of exist for us everywhere and we'll use kind of machine learning to be super personalized and uh, all of those things. So we've, we've invested in a few companies in that space. And I think the other big one that's kind of under the radar still very much at the moment is you know, the other thing that's happening in the Western world and is particularly pronounced in, in places like Japan is you know, we have a rapidly aging population. We have a, a lot of people in their 50s, 60s, 70s and above. We've got you know, lifespans that are increasing, thankfully. You know, we get to spend a lot more time with the, the people that we love. But that brings challenges with it as well. And, you know, I think there is a whole section of, of technology around kind of, you know, providing people with better, more engaging, more healthy, happier lives as, as they get older. That's going to be really important because, you know, we have huge issues around around loneliness. We have, uh, you know, huge issues around providing care for people. And so I think there are, again, really significant opportunities for people who are thinking about how do you leverage tools like, you know, Alexa or Google Home or how do you leverage you know, smart TVs or, you know, technology that's pretty pervasive for, if you think about it, folks in their 60s nowadays probably, you know, use computers for most of their working lives. If I think of my parents, they've had smartphones and tablets and Alexas in the house, you know, and everyone is building tools for 13-year-olds who have no money and not thinking about kind of people in their 60s who have money and, and are willing to spend it. And I think there's a huge opportunity in that market as well that I've been really keen to try and find companies that are working in that space because I think there's a real opportunity to A, build great companies, but B, build them in a way that really has a material impact in a beneficial way on, on people's lives. Changing direction a little, when we chatted previously, you highlighted the uh, importance of putting humor and personality and character into technology products, even into enterprise grade products. I'm really intrigued by that. How can enterprise software and SaaS ventures incorporate these ideas? It's increasingly important, right? Particularly if you think about, you know, the way in which we interact with technology is becoming more abstracted, right? It's not necessarily always sitting in front of a desktop computer, having an interaction or a laptop, you know, and, and increasingly it's not necessarily going to be sitting in front of a tablet or phone size device, iPhone or Android size device. You know, we're going to be having conversations with these tools, you know, via like I said, by Alexa or, or, or Google Home or you know the HomePod or any of these uh, any of these platforms that are out there, we're going to be interacting with tools on Messenger, on mobile, you know, all of these different platforms. And I think if what we're interacting with feels a little bit like a kind of disembodied computer, then I think we as as human beings, just as a species, kind of don't necessarily always react well to that. Whereas I think if it's imbued with some sense of personality, with some sense of fun you know, then that goes a long way. And, and, you know, we've seen this borne out in the, the social media era where, 
you know, there was a demonstrable kind of trend towards, you know, brands that humanized themselves that had, you know, if it was, you know, any of the rail companies in the UK, for example, if they had a person put their initials at the end of the tweets where they were saying, oh, we're sorry that everything is delayed and, and screwed up again, then people were less likely to kind of just explode into outright rage because they thought, okay, well, I'm talking to Karen or I'm talking to Liam or I'm talking to Paul rather than talking to kind of, you know, Southern Rail or Thameslink. And, and, and if I'm talking to Southern Rail or Thameslink, then I can get furious with them. But if it's a person, then I've got to treat them like a human being. And I think, you know, that personality is is really important. And I think then, you know, building on top of that, you know, one of the things that we've been looking at for a long time in different companies and we're lucky enough to see happen in farm villain and keep and others is you know the importance of humor and, and mischief so you know chemical processes in your brain that happen when you laugh you release dopamine you release these kind of endocannabinoids and, and these compounds into your brain that you know form memories that form very positive associations for you and so if you as a brand or an organization or a product can build a positive association between your app or your products and make people think well that made me happy or that made me smile the last time that i opened that well, then the likelihood of you opening it again is is pretty high or the likelihood of you engaging with it again is pretty high. And, you know, the reality is now there are, you know, tens of millions of products and apps and games and videos and all of these kind of different things that are out there online and, and on mobile and offline. And we're competing for people's attention. And, you know, attention is a, a unit of scarcity. And so you can't manufacture more of it. So for all of these companies, the more minutes of your day that they can potentially get access to, the more valuable they become. And so for me, having that sense of humor is vital, is really important. And, you know, for B2C companies and games and folks like that, it's obviously a lot easier. You know, for B2B brands, if you're selling a services to a bank, you know, I'm not suggesting that you kind of all of a sudden put Laurel and Hardy or Three Stooges type of gags into your products. But I think you can have some personality in your marketing materials. I think you can have a little bit of personality in your loading screen. And if people take a look at, you know, Slack is a really good example of this. It's a you know, it's a product that's built for B2B. It's a product that's increasingly kind of, you know, looking at, at big enterprise clients. And yet still, there are so many little things in there in terms of the messaging that you see when the application is loading, in terms of the animations and the graphics that are contained within the product. You know, there are lots of little moments of surprise and delight in there that you can see people tweeting about, that you can see people talking about, that you can see people actively really enjoying and engaging with. And, you know, if you can get that right, that's unbelievably powerful for companies. So having that sense of, you know, humor and, and fun and, and engagement, you know, it's not just a, a marketing ploy, it's it's something that actively kind of gets people engaged with your product. And, you know, once you have them engaged, then, you know, converting them and, you know, generating revenue and, and, and giving them a, a great experience on an ongoing basis, you know, the rest is up to you. So is there an example within the Techstars portfolio of you encouraging the leadership team to improve the way they're engaging with their prospects and with their clients? If you've got a specific example, have you been, been able to do something comparable? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've worked on it a lot within several companies in the portfolio. I mean, you know, I think probably one of the best examples of it is a, a company whose who's board I'm lucky enough to sit on, a company called Lingvist, which is a language learning app that's driven by machine learning and artificial intelligence. So it makes it a lot faster to learn a foreign language. Kind of think of it as, you know, Duolingo turbocharge six or eight times faster. And so it's very easy for machine learning and, and AI companies to be very dry, you know, types of organizations. The nature of what they do is is incredibly kind of meticulous and and um, you know systematic and you know mathematical. And with Lingvist we we hired a, a chief product officer, a guy called Scott Dodson, who's who's one of the 
the kind of leading motivation designers in the world and spent a lot of time kind of working on just little engagement mechanics within the product and retention mechanics within the product in terms of, you know, letting people know how they were progressing, letting people know the words they were getting right, the words they were getting wrong, you know, understanding what the, the repeat stack was of words that they would have to go through again to, you know, kind of really kind of cement those words in their memory. And, you know, doing that in a, in a fun and engaging way ranged from everything from the, the kind of copy that, that people saw within the product right the way through to the kind of user interface and, you know, user experience that people had of, you know, seeing, you know, very simple things like tick marks and progress bars and, you know, all of these things that just make a, a huge difference to two people. And, and you know, now if, if you search for, you know, linguists on Twitter, you'll see a huge number of people who are massively motivated because they're seeing this kind of positive reinforcement, this sense of, you know, kind of fun about what they're doing, you know, manifesting and within the product on an ongoing basis. And people really, you know, people really, really love it. And, and when you see that happening, when you start seeing that kind of, you know, best thing that ever happened for, you know, most any company that I've ever been involved in is if you get fan mail. And nowadays, uh-huh. I suppose people don't want their, you don't want your postal address necessarily on the internet so much anymore. But, you know, the, the digital equivalent is getting kind of fan mail on, on Twitter. And when you start seeing that happening, it's, you know, it's just, it's hugely valuable, hugely powerful. And incredibly motivating for the people who who work on the product and i know there's an internal channel on the the messaging tool that the the linguist team use where you know they're constantly sharing this you know this feedback from users both you know the external feedback on twitter and, and the internal feedback they get on help scout and, and zendesk and others and you know that's an incredible motivation for people to see you know how much users love the product that you're building and, and love the kind of you know the little motivational tweaks that you're putting in there to increase their kind of enjoyment and and enhance their kind of engagement. What are some of the other key areas within the portfolio that you're really helping to add value to the companies? Some of the key challenges that are coming up time and time again, where you and your colleagues have been able to make a, a real difference to the portfolio companies? For me, some of the biggest things that companies struggle with are, you know, if you're a B2B company, one of the biggest issues companies have is is sales, right? And mm-hmm. partnerships and, and you know enterprise sales and, and that side of things. And if you're a B2C company, one of the biggest things that companies struggle with is growth and monetization. And so for me, kind of if you look at sales and partnerships and you look at growth, there are fundamental problems that, that can be kind of usually traced back to you know messaging and, and branding. So we spend a lot of time obviously working with companies on the technology, working on the products, making sure that you know, what they have from a technology perspective actually solves the problem that they say they're going to solve. But then a huge part of the the process from then on is kind of getting the messaging right around that. So I had a conversation with a company today who are selling their B2B enterprise product. They work with e-commerce retailers to help them with kind of price management and, and dynamic pricing. And one of the challenges they were saying is that they can't, it's very difficult for them to demonstrate the ROI on what they're doing because they don't have access to the sales data from their clients. So they can't see if there's been an uptick in sales as a result of, of deploying their tool. And so the kind of the fundamental sales tactic needs to be something slightly different. And so with them, we talked about, you know, well, what is it that, you know, you can't demonstrate that you're generating revenue, but what you can demonstrate is that the tool that you have is saving them time and saving them money. And so You've got to kind of think about, you know, and in their case, they're saying if you were to build this in-house, you would need data scientists and engineers and all of these people, you know, and, and for the price that we're charging you, you wouldn't even be able to hire someone to model with the HTML and CSS as an intern on your website. So you've got to think about, you know, if you look at fundamental human motivations, you know, are you trying to make more money or 
save money or have more time to spend with you know on projects that you like or with your family and and try to solve for those and a huge part of that is explaining what it is that you do in a way that's that's really coherent you know for b2c apps it's explaining what you do and, and the value proposition in a way that's simple and understandable so that you know you can get that word of mouth and virality so that if someone goes hey i played this amazing game it's called angry birds you should download it you know it allows you to fling birds at pigs and knock them over oh that sounds good i'll download it you know you've got to be able to explain what you do in a really simple way and and one of the challenges for a lot of companies is again i got an email from a friend of mine the other day who was saying can you make a couple of introductions to an investor and then he sent me kind of six paragraphs about what his company does it's kind of like no one is going to read that it needs to be two sentences right you know i always say to companies think of your pitch and think of your product as you know one of those kind of star wars or avengers movie teasers that are 30 seconds long and make you go holy shit i want to buy the ticket for that now like i don't even care what the movie is about i'm so excited i want to be part of it and that's what you're trying to do with investors and with customers as well it's like tease the idea that this is amazing and make me download your app so i can use more or make me book in for a sales call or a demo so I can learn more or as an investor, get me to go, hey, send me your 10 slides or hey, let's get in a room and have a meeting. And, you know, communication is a key part of that, which goes back to my kind of background in journalism is how do you help people explain what it is that they do in a way that's interesting and impactful for the audience that they want to reach? And I think that is a huge part of of what we do day to day with companies during the program. And, And then you know, outside of that, obviously, the kind of the value that, that companies really get from the program is, is this huge network of mentors and advisors and alumni companies that they, they then get access to that can help them with, I would say to companies like pick a question, any question, you know, could be, how do I expand into the Ghanaian market? Or, you know, what's the sales process if I'm selling B2B education in Japan, right? If you go on our Techstars Discuss forum, you probably ask that, either of those questions and get an answer within, you know, half an hour. Or you could at least find the right person within the network to give you that answer. And, and I think that's part of the real power that we have in terms of, you know, being you know, Techstars at its core is a worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. And, and the, the big part of that is the network that helps them do it. But what are your metrics for success at Techstars itself? An early stage VC, a number that's floated around is they're looking for one out of 10 of their investments to be a, a big hit, a big exit. You invest even earlier um, at Techstars. So what metrics do you have for for your fund, for your portfolio? If we look back now, and and I think we've probably invested in in nearly, I suppose, 1,500 companies over the last 10 10 or 11 years, of whom about 90% are are still active or or have been been acquired. So for us, kind of helping companies build robust, sustainable businesses and, and, you know, scalable businesses is the most important thing. I mean, of course, you know, as investors, you want to have companies as we had with, with SendGrid go through the, the journey of, you know, being on an accelerator, raising raising capital and, and eventually going public. We've had other great success stories like Play Canvas and others who've been acquired by Snapchat. So, you know, for us, the, the key thing is, you know, can we put companies in a better position to succeed by dint of going through one of our accelerator programs, either like the one that I run in London or, or you know, one of our, our corporate partner programs, you know, similar to what we run with Barclays in, in London or you know, many others around the world. And really, that's the thing that, that, you know, that we look for is, you know, have companies had an amazing experience? You know, are they likely to tell other people to work with us and to, to kind of engage with us as potential investors as they grow in scale? And, you know, are we creating businesses that can be 
sustainable for the long term. And I think, you know, that's, that's bared out that, you know, we have this, this kind of incredible 90% figure. You know, if you, if you look at it, most people would su- suggest that, you know, of every 10 companies that are started, only one will last more than 18 or, or 24 months. You know, we're, we're kind of the inverse of that, that, you know, the, the vast majority of the companies that have gone through a Techstars program are, are still, you know, out there or, or, or are, are a major part of someone else's uh, company now. And from a personal perspective, I should say that the one, the one metric that I always kind of try and, and track for is at the end of the program, when we have our demo day and the companies have, you know, had their meetings and, you know, we've had our, our kind of celebration at the end, you know, one thing that I always want to have happen is at least, you know, one or two of the companies, ideally almost all of them to come up and go, I don't want this to end. I want to go back into uh-huh. the office on Monday and for the Techstars experience to, to continue. Because it kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, being back in college or going on a, you know, summer trip to a kibbutz or, you know, doing a, a summer away with your friends. You know, it's an incredible kind of experience that the companies have over the the, the kind of three or four months that, that we spend together. And so for me, that's the times that that has happened is is hugely powerful. And we see it, you know, we run these founder con events in, in the US and Europe every year where we bring alumni companies together and we get, you know, get the band back together, as it were, for a couple of days. And you know, you can see that engagement and that enthusiasm and that excitement when everyone gets back together. So, it, it, you know, that to me shows that the program is working, my team and I are, are working, and that the network is working. And when you see that in action, you know, it's, it's incredible. You mentioned your father being an early impetus for you in terms of getting into tech, playing around with uh, computer games and Sinclair ZX and so on. But more recently, who or what inspired you to be who you are today you know an early stage tech investor what have been the big um, inspirations for what you do now some of the biggest ones were when i started random thoughts back in ireland there weren't re- i mean there were no accelerators people accelerators were things that were in cars right i mean it wasn't it wasn't a, a word or, or incubators you know there, there were very few you know investors and there were people who would kind of quote unquote help your company you know, they take a meeting with you and go, oh, yeah, I want, you know, 50% of every sale that you do as a result of an introduction that you make, or I want kind of 10% of your company to be an advisor. So there were a lot of really sketchy people around back then. And I always remember, you know, the people who took time to help out, the people who who kind of sat down and said, look, I wouldn't necessarily structure a contract like this. Or, you know, if you're going to pitch in the future, think about doing it in this way. So, you know, there, there were a couple of people who were, who were just incredibly you know, helpful and, and generous with their time in, in my very, very early days of being an entrepreneur. And I always remember kind of thinking, you know what, if I ever have the ability to do this for someone else, to just spend 15 minutes having a cup of coffee with someone or, or you know, doing a call or something else, then I'll, then I'll always do it. And, you know, then I got to meet more and more people in the kind of startup um, ecosystem. So, you know, working with Dylan and uh, Dylan Collins, uh, who's quite a well-known Irish entrepreneur now, CEO of, of Super Awesome here in, in the UK. You know, Dylan was was one of the first people who kind of started introducing me to kind of entrepreneurs and saying, "Hey, look, you know, Eamon should be able to help you with this, or Eamon might be able to help you with that." And you know, he was incredibly active and, and supportive to entrepreneurs in Ireland. You know, after his success, he sold his first company to to Activision back in the the mid two thousands, and so you know people like that who were kind of going out of their way to be helpful and useful and make introductions for me were, were hugely valuable. You know, John Bradford, who was the person who brought Techstars to Europe, John ran the Difference Engine, which was an early accelerator up in, in Newcastle and, and, and then Springboard, 
in Cambridge and, and folded that in and became Techstars London back in, in 2013. You know, it was John who gave me the opportunity to come into Techstars and, and, and kind of start to mentor companies here and start to invest in companies. And, you know, really, Techstars has this kind of give first, you know, mantra or motto, I suppose, that, that we have. And, and, and John was definitely the, the embodiment of, um, of that. So, you know, he was, he was hugely kind of beneficial and, and helpful in, in, in terms of getting me plugged in. And, and it's still someone who, you know, I talk to pretty regularly about, uh, you know, a whole range of different topics. And, you know, I think now more laterally, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to be part of a, a group of 30 something other managing directors within Techstars. So as far as peers go, I have an incredible group of, of people around me who, you know, you always, there is a tendency for people to think that every problem they have is unique to them. And you kind of go, oh, wow, no one's ever had this crazy experience before and or this terrible thing happened to them. And, you know, what, what I found with my colleagues at Techstars now is you can go to them with virtually any problem and go, hey, you won't believe this, you know, incredible thing has happened with an entrepreneur. You know, how would you think about even dealing with something like this? And they go, oh, yeah, that happened to me like four times already this week. Here's what I did. And so having that kind of community and that, that group of peers around you is just super beneficial. And, you know, I think then the other, the, the person within the kind of entrepreneurial ecosystem who probably deserves the most accolades and, and praise and, and perhaps doesn't get it to the same extent are, are the kind of, you know, the, the husbands and wives and, and partners. And, you know, I mean, I think my wife is, is probably the most patient person I've, I've ever met uh, in terms of, you know, supporting me on, on this journey. So, uh, you know, I think, She's been a, a sounding board more than once and, uh, you know, a good influence and occasionally a bad influence in terms of how I kind of think about all of these processes and companies because she's not involved in the tech world at all, which is incredible. Like, it's it's nice to have that kind of removed. So, you know, there have been a huge number of people who've, who've helped me along the way from kind of teachers and, and, and parents right the way through to peers and partners. And, you know, there's a huge number of people, you know, every successful entrepreneur and, and particularly the, the really good ones, you know, they'll acknowledge that, you know, it's, it's like the kind of, it takes a village to raise a child type of thing. You know, there's, there's just, there's so many people, you know, even if we look at the tech stars companies that have been, you know, successful, they've probably had interactions with hundreds, you know, maybe even in some cases over a thousand kind of people through the tech stars network who've made introductions or who've had 20 minute cups of coffee or, you know, half hour meetings or, you know, four day brainstorming sessions you know, and all of those people have contributed in various different ways to the success of, of the companies that, that we've invested in. And, and, you know, all of our mentors and all of our network are a massive part of the success that we've had as tech stars. Dealing with so many exciting startups and meeting so many early stage entrepreneurs. And of course, you were prior to tech stars, you were an entrepreneur yourself. Don't you ever get that sensation, that nagging feeling that really you'd like to be running your own independent software venture again and scaling that up and, and maybe having a real big exit of your own. Is is there a, a sense that actually there's unfinished business and you'd like to have another go at, at being an entrepreneur yourself? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think anyone who started a company, and I suppose particularly if you've been lucky enough to, to have some degree of, of success with it, will understand that it is you know, I don't know, it's like an insect bite or, you know, it's kind of, it's like it gets under your skin, you know, and, and there is a niche that will perpetually exist there that, you know, you either scratch by starting a new company or, or you, in my case, as an investor now, kind of try to scratch by finding companies that are, that are solving that problem in more interesting ways than I ever could. But yeah, it never leaves you. I mean, I still, you know, I still have an ideas 
notebook. I still scribble stuff down all the time. You know, probably a couple of times a week, I'm sitting on the overground coming to the office or, or, or walking down here or, you know, in the gym or having lunch or anything. I'm kind of going, oh, I wish someone would build this. And then you can go, oh, well, why don't I do it? You know, I think what I've realized over time, having gone through the kind of journey a couple of times is like, A, I think what I'm better doing what I'm doing now than I would be as a CEO or a founder within a business. I think I can be more helpful to people doing what I'm doing now. That's not to say that, you know, if someday I was to sit down over dinner or drinks with someone and we were to noodle out a plan that I wouldn't kind of go, you know what, actually, I can spin the wheel one more time. It's a difficult journey, right? You know, starting a company, going through that process, you know, all of those things, no matter how many times you do it or how good your kind of network is or how many connections you have or how many investors you know, you know, it never gets any easier to do that. And I think, of course, there will always be ideas that I want to pursue. But I always remember someone telling me, I had this idea years ago, like 10 or 15 years ago. And I was like, it's so good that if I tell anyone else, they'll immediately just run off and steal the idea and go do it themselves. And eventually this person was like, just tell me the an idea. And so I told him, he was like, oh, look, there's like 20 other people doing that. And they're all further along and way smarter than you are. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's kind of damning uh, indictment. But his point was quite true. It's like, you know, you can overthink things too much and, and spend too much time trying to figure out what to, to do with a, a business or, or an idea. And I think that's one of the challenges is that, you know, I see so many companies now and I see so many ideas now that, you know, you're, I think starting something new will be kind of difficult. That's not to say that the itch doesn't leave you, but I think if I were trying to justify it to myself and kind of go, yeah, you know, I'm going to start a company. I want to get it to, you know, a couple of hundred people. I want to, you know, go down, you know, all of the myriad paths that that entails, you know, is that something that I would necessarily be better at now or am I better doing, you know, the, the role that I have at, at Techstars and investing in companies and helping people who are frankly smarter and better equipped than I am? To build these companies to achieve that success. And, you know, I think I'm pretty good at the first kind of 18 to 24 months of a, of a company's life and, and kind of helping them get the brand and messaging and sales and, you know, business into the, into the right position to grow and scale and start generating revenues or, you know, raising funding or whatever it is that they want to do. And, you know, I think that's what I'm happy doing, but I suppose I would, yeah, never say never. What are your aspirations for Techstars itself? If you look ahead for the next, um, three, four, five years, how do you see your accelerator evolving either in terms of the UK um, or, or even globally? We're now, I think, at about 40, 40 or 41 programs internationally. So we, we just announced a program in, in Amsterdam. We've just hired some folks for, for our program in, in India. You know, our, our program with, with Rakuten in, in Singapore is, is going to be kicking off around the same time as the program that I'm running in, in London. So, you know, geographically, Techstars is, is now, you know, starting to expand pretty significantly. You know, we're working with some incredible partners, you know, folks like, like Amazon, like Rakuten, like, like Target, Ford, and, and many, many others. And so, you know, I think we'll continue to expand. I think we'll continue to work with great entrepreneurs and, and help them succeed. I think we'll continue to work with great you know, partners in the in the corporate world and, you know, connect them with with amazing startups and, and connect the, the startups with, you know, the incredible opportunities and, and partnership that, that these um, that these big corporates can bring. I look forward to us continuing to do that. And of course there will always be, you know, innovation and, and evaluation of, of how, you know, the Techstars, you know, kind of offering works. You know, we 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 brought in this um, Techstars Anywhere about a year and a half ago, which, you know, the the idea being that you know, usually when we invest in companies, they come, they work out of our office for 13 weeks, 
you know, every day and we have lots of activities and, and various different things for them to do and, you know, mentor meetings and, and more. And of course, there were a lot of people for, for various different reasons who maybe wouldn't necessarily be able to, you know, move to one of the cities that we're based in for that period of time. And so, you know, Techstars Anywhere is a virtual accelerator program where you know, my colleague Ryan and, and Karina run it. They have companies from all over the, the US. Everyone participates virtually. They, you know, have meetings on, on various different kind of, uh, you know, VoIP uh, platforms, Skype and BlueJeans and, and lots of others. They meet up in person two or three times during the, the program. And so we're always looking at kind of new ways to, to kind of innovate on, on what we're doing and frankly, new ways just to really help that, that kind of, you know, entrepreneurial community grow and scale in, in different markets. You know, we've right away from, you know, running startup weekends in, in over 160 countries around the world to, you know, kind of figuring out how do we expand our, our accelerator offering into, into new markets. And I think that's what we'll continue doing. You know, like I said, the whole goal that we have as Techstars is to help entrepreneurs succeed and the more ways and, and more avenues that we can give companies to do that from right away from kind of inception through to kind of IPO, you know, that's what we're here to do. And that's what we'll continue to do. And, you know, we're, we're very lucky to have a, an incredible team of people working on that, you know, both in the US and, and Europe and, and around the world. Well, it's, uh, it's really great to hear that you're innovating and evolving yourselves, as well as obviously encouraging your portfolio to do so. So, uh, Eamon, thank you so much for your uh, time today. And I'm looking forward to seeing some more uh, enterprise technology solutions emerge with those interesting and engaging personas that you highlighted earlier in the call. Fingers crossed, right? I look forward to being entertained by people's products. I think if you can put a smile on someone's face with something that you do, then you've done something very special indeed. So fingers crossed, we'll see a lot more of it. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.